Welcome to Uniquely Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners share their real stories of success, failure, and everything in between. Welcome back to Uniquely Small Biz by Selective Insurance, a podcast for small business owners to share stories about the small businesses that they own. I'm Carolyn McCardle, and this week we have a sweet treat for you. I'm joined by Kaylin Wissinger, the owner of Whisk, a sustainable bake shop. Having started at the Tower Grove Farmer's Market in St. Louis, Kaylin's been able to turn a farm-fresh dream into reality. She talks with us about how she not only built a sustainable business, but how she keeps it sustainable. And she's always giving advice to other small business owners who are looking to do the same. All right. It is Kaylin Wissinger. Good morning, Kaylin. Hello. Good morning. How are you today? I'm so good. Welcome back to Uniquely Small Biz by Selective Insurance. It's so good to have you on our podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and I'm thrilled to be here and I can't wait to chat with you about everything. This is great. So you are the owner, the operator, the president, probably a baker at Whisk, a sustainable bake shop. Yes, I I sometimes bake sometimes, (laughs) not as much as I would like, but that's that's okay. I know. Seriously, being a business owner, the baking is the the most fun part of it, probably. And you probably uh, don't do very much of that. Just being an owner. Yeah, It's sad. It's I mean, I I like I love my job. I am very lucky and privileged that this is what my day to day is. But sometimes I just want to make cookies like that's all I ever wanted to do. And sometimes that just is what I want. But you know what? I have a great staff. They do that. And then I eat the cookies. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. There's the yeah. best part of the job right there. Exactly. The, yes. The taste testing. So you are Whisk, a sustainable bake shop. You easily could have just called yourself Whisk or Whisk mm-hmm. Bake Shop. Why did you put sustainable into your title? So it's really important for me that our customers and the, the greater world at large know that sustainability is one of the more important things for us here. We really like working with small vendors, small producers, small farmers, and that sense of community that it brings forth is really important to me. And then also just it is a great way to reduce our carbon footprint, working with local folks who you know grow apples in an orchard 50 miles away as opposed to in Peru or wherever apples can come yeah. from, from the grocery store, something like that. So it's a nice little name tag and mm. it's a nice reminder for me to think, okay, as I'm making a new decision, as we're creating a new product, as we're opening a new branch, like how can I do this in the most sustainable way possible? Isn't it funny? It seems to me, and I don't know if this is true, but I always feel like when I eat food that is grown locally, it tastes better. When I know that it came from the same city that I'm in or just the area that you live in in general, you're doing all those things by supporting local businesses and local farmers and growers. But for some reason, the food always tastes so good. I think you're right. I mean, I think at least with several of the smaller farms that we work with. I mean, they don't use a bunch of icky chemicals. They don't use pesticides. And my thought process is kind of if the bugs want to eat it, then I should want to eat it too. And (laughs) I I don't have a problem with that. I'll share. I can share. (laughs) And I think you're totally right. I mean, it's fresher. It's it's grown nearby. And that just allows it to taste better when we finally get to eat it in whatever form it's in. What inspired you to open a bake shop of all things? You could have done a million things, taken a million paths in your life. What led you to where you are? 
I have thought about that a lot over the years. <laughs> so I, I graduated college in 2010 mm-hmm. and realized a little too late that I was not super pumped about the majors that I had chosen, but I did not want to continue going to college school. Really, uh, you know, I, I appreciate and respect people that are in that industry. Uh, it's not for me. I mm-hmm. finished college, didn't really feel the need to go back. So I finished out my my dual degree in English and secondary education, thinking I was going to be a high school English teacher, decided I can't be a teacher at all. Please, no. Mm. And I got a job at a nonprofit here in St. Louis, was miserable. I just sat at a desk all day and did a lot of number stuff and a lot of spreadsheets. And just whenever I went home depressed, I would bake. And it brought me a lot of joy. And I loved sharing treats with people and getting feedback. And um, I kind of decided, you know, I'm 22. If Mm. I'm ever going to start my own business, it should be now before I have, you know, a car payment or kids or a house payment, you know, like big, expensive adult stuff. Um, So I started out really small, started working out of a community kitchen in downtown St. Louis. And it was fine. It was a really great way to get started with very little overhead. But it was only about a year and a half before I signed a lease on my own space and we opened Whisk. So we started making ice pops, popsicles back Mm -hmm. in 2012 when before Whisk was open, but to sell at the farmer's market using local seasonal produce ingredients. It gets so hot here in the summertime, like upwards of 100 degrees sometimes. And I would be sitting and watching the buttercream melt off of cupcakes in the July heat at the farmer's market Mm -hmm. and think like, what can we do that isn't ugly like this? <laughs> what mm-hmm. can we do to utilize this produce and work with these people with these you know relationships that we've established? And how can we make a product that people want? And so the popsicle side of Whisk was born. And you know, long story short, in 2018, I bought a decommissioned postal truck and turned it into a food truck. And in 2019, I launched Poptimism, which is our ice pop business on the side of that. So now we have a location for Poptimism in this new development here in St. Louis called City Foundry. It's the first food hall that St. Louis has had. We're very behind the times, but it's pretty cool. And so, yeah, we're doing all of the bakery prep work and all of the popsicle production work in the same 1,300 square foot space. So it's yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. that's a lot. Did the popsicle side of it take off like the bakery side? I mean, it sounds like from just what you're saying, everything for you, it, you kind of dipped your toe in the pool, had one location, thought we'll see where it goes. And now it's yes. like the bakery took off. Then you open the popsicle side of it. Then that takes off. Yes. You can't almost can't keep up. And that's, again, good problem to have. But yes, yes. <laughs> It's so neat and so crazy at the same time to me to think about you as a 22-year-old saying to yourself, if I'm going to start a business, there's no time like the present. Look at speaking of business. Do you want to answer it? Because you can. Uh, We'd we'd love to be a part of this. (laughs) So Mondays and Tuesdays are our main pop prep days because Uh the bakers aren't here. And so I love ignoring the phone Mondays and Tuesdays. (laughs) I love being like, eh, denied. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry about that. No, it's totally okay. But yeah, so as a 22-year-old, you know, I was saying like the fact that you said as a 22-year-old, not a lot of 22-year-olds are thinking, I should start a business and actually go through with it. And then on top of it, you have success. 
Yes. You know, obviously I've, I've worked, I have worked so, 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 so hard and I don't mm-hmm. want to diminish that hard work, but so much of it is just luck too. I think wow. personally, I, I think that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right people to kind of make a lot of things sort of fall into place in a way that I, it has benefited me greatly. Uh, and yeah. again, I think that that does come along with like, I mean, I work 17 or 18 hour days most days. And mm. a lot of the other food entrepreneurs that I know are in the same boat. And so yeah. it's it's certainly not for the faint of heart. I did not have 20s. Like I didn't have, you know, people would like, travel, go see places and like go visit friends and do things. And I was here, you know, just chugging away. And um, I wouldn't say I have regrets about that, but it's certainly something that I think about sometimes just like, yeah, "Yeah, this is, this is the life I built for myself and I love it. But yeah, I didn't have like those fun twenties go out, Mm -hmm. tear it up. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, that's not really me anyway. So I probably wouldn't have done it if I was doing something else, but do you think if you had had more of a, for lack of a better term, personal life in, during your 20s, <laughs> you'd have the success you have now, though? I don't know. I mean, maybe. But I think that the reason that things are going well is because I give it my all. Yeah. So, you know, and maybe that's not how it is for everyone. And hey, good for you. If you can have like a good personal work-life balance as an entrepreneur, that's awesome. I have not mm-hmm. figured out how. So it is what it is. I don't think it's random that you've had the success that you've had and you've worked the hours that you've worked. It's sort of like they say to salespeople, the more hours you put in, the more success you have, right? The more phone calls you make, the more sales you're going to get. And for you, you've put in those 17, 18 hour days throughout your 20s. And now you're you're reaping the rewards of that. If you build it, they will come. How tough that decision must have been for you to do what you did to eliminate the seating and become takeout only to have your clientele support you like that says a lot about what you've done as a business owner and just as a human being as a person. So kudos to you for that. Yeah. Thank you. That's so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's we have such an incredibly supportive community of people here. I mean, St. Louis is it's a weird city. I've lived here my whole life. I've never not lived here. Um, but there's a reason I'm still here. I love it. It's, it's a wonderful city full of wonderful people and it's small enough that you can make your mark here. You don't get lost in the crowd. And, um, I think that we, you know, everyone that has walked through the doors here, I think has felt welcomed and appreciated Mm -hmm. and, you know, like I see them and I want them to feel good and happy and find something that they can eat. You know, that's why we have different, all kinds of different things for people that have allergies or intolerances. And so I, I I feel again, luck. I feel very lucky that uh, we have had such a supportive group of people that were like cheerleading from the sideline. I mean, even, you know, so we started our remodel in February of 2020. And I did not have a crystal ball to take away our seating, but uh, it worked out really well in terms of the worldwide pandemic that we all know about that has happened. And um, I mean, I, we were, I was busting down drywall and plaster and like removing just like layers and layers of paint. And there were N95s nowhere to be found. And I, you know, Mm. posted about it on Instagram and neighbors who I had not even met, but people who lived down the block from Whisk, like, came and dropped off a box of N95s like just during the beginning of COVID, which like 
was such a scarcity and it was just so scary and it was just it was so nice people are just really nice <laughs> that says yeah that says so much about you that they respect you and they want you yeah. to be okay and your business yeah. to be okay that's amazing good for you yeah, let's really talk nice. about profit margin really quickly yeah uh, absolutely have, have you seen any business impact from from your sustainability efforts does it impact profit margin? Yes, I would say it definitely does. Um, and honestly, it is something that I knew getting into the sustainability side of things that our profit margins would be slimmer. Food profit margins are already kind of razor thin in a lot of ways. And because it is important to me that we utilize as much local stuff as we can, that comes with a cost. So we sometimes pass that on to our customers by raising prices and mm -hmm. sometimes we don't and we just eat it. And uh, it really just kind of comes down to what feels most important to me. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to like set a price on something that you've created and something mm -hmm. that you've made and something you're proud of. And then when people come in and scoff at having to spend like $4 on a homemade Pop-Tart, it's like, I understand. I get it. It's not for everyone. Uh, it's not accessible to everybody, but it costs that way because the peaches were handpicked by an Amish farmer 25 miles away from here. And, yeah. you know, the the dairy that's in it, the eggs and the milk, like it's that's also local and that adds to our costs. And we hand roll everything and it's labor is expensive. Like I make sure that every like our minimum wage here is $15 an hour in my shop. Like I, everyone wow. needs to be paid a living wage. And so all yeah. of that stuff is really important to me. And so, yeah, sometimes that gets passed on to the customer and sometimes we just find ways to make money in other ways. It's tricky. It's, it's a very delicate balance, I would say. I think if you're a customer though, and you know that that's why, let's say a pop, uh, did you call it a pop tart? Technically, yeah, well, technically what did you call we it? call them pop tartlets because pop, pop tart is trademarked. Is trademarked. Okay, yeah. so Kellogg's, big Kellogg's, okay. they're going to come True, get me. true. <laughs> and I have a feeling that Kellogg's has nothing on your pop tartlets. By the way, I mean you're correct. But thank you for saying that. <laughs> thank you for saying that. No, but if I'm a customer and I come in and I see that a pop tartlet is four dollars or whatever it is, and I know that that's why because you're playing, you're paying your employees fifteen dollars an hour because you bought the the fruit that goes into that pop tartlet from a local farmer or a local grower, I'm happy to help support that effort. And I would hope that most people, if they know that kind of behind the scenes story on it, they would be as well. You hope. I think you're right. Yes, I think you're correct. I think that the average person who is a good, kind, well-intentioned person is happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So then that being said, what advice would you give to a business owner or a business that's trying to become more sustainable that maybe doesn't know where to start or maybe feels overwhelmed by the idea? Like, what would you say to them? Yes, there are so many ways to be more sustainable in our everyday lives. And mm -hmm. I think that America and I can't I can't really speak to the whole world, but I think mm -hmm. here at least we are definitely in a throwaway culture and it drives me crazy. So, um, <laughs> I mean, one of the most important things for us that I've mentioned is just sourcing ingredients. And I, because I got my start at farmer's markets all over St. Louis, I know so many of the farmers and producer, you know, people that, you know, roast coffee or make their yeah. own granola, stuff like that, that it's just so wonderful to have like that built-in community already. 
and it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I I'm an extrovert. Can you tell? Uh, so I really <laughs> like talking to people and meeting people and like hearing their stories and learning about their passions and why they got started doing what they're doing. And so I just I fall in love with with people and you know their passions. And so that would be my my top tip would be mm-hmm. to go to your farmer's market, go to, uh, if you have a co-op, if you're lucky enough to have a co-op in your town or, um, you know, just a, a place where local products are present and talk to people, learn their stories, you know, that, that obviously that doesn't work for everybody, but that that's the first big step for me that I would say mm-hmm. beyond that, um, establishing composting programs, recycling programs. If you live in bigger municipalities, it's likely that those already exist and you just kind of have to tack on. If not, I mean, I don't know. My dad was one of the first people to start the recycling program in St. Louis in the nineties. And it's, well, there's some issues here still, but again, we're in St. Louis. We're trying. If somebody had told you when you were younger and you were thinking about opening a business, if someone had said, oh yeah, you can own a bakery, but here's, here's what comes with it. You're going to need to know accounting. You're going to need to know balancing timesheets for employees. You're going to need to know the laws about unions or whatever. Like you, you know, a lot of people, I think we grow up and we think, oh, it'd be fun to own a bakery someday. Yes. End of thought. Yes. And then you get End into it and now you're talking yeah. composting and you're talking like there are so many factors. Yes, there are so many factors. And I was not, I mean, for the first two and a half years, I didn't even have any employees. It was just myself. And uh, my husband is a teacher. So Hmm. he helped me a lot on weekends and during the summer when he was off. But I I feel like we've had a very slow build. And in that regard, I've been really lucky because it wasn't 85,000 things at once that come with owning. It was like, okay, um, I have this thing called gross receipts taxes. What is that? How do I do that? How do I take care of that? And then yeah. I learned how to do that. And it's like, oh, I have to pay manufacturing fees. Yeah. Is that a scam? Yeah. <laughs> All of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I feel like it, it. I was lucky in that it was kind of a slow build in that I, it wasn't completely overwhelming at the very beginning. Like here is a laundry list. I mean, that did happen, but it wasn't as long as it could have been because I didn't have a staff and I wasn't super well established. And, you know, for, for the first like year and a half, I mean, anytime someone would come in that wasn't like a friend or family, I'd be like, how did you hear about us? Who are you? Why are you here? No one told you to come here. Why? Why? Uh, And it would be really surprising. Like I remember the first day that I looked around and everyone that was sitting, it was a full house in Whisk. I didn't know a single person. And I was like, oh, am mm. I doing okay? Is this okay? Yeah. Are they happy? Do they feel good? What What do I do? And yeah. um, it's weird. It's very yeah. strange. I will never forget that feeling. I want to talk to you about your social media. Okay. First of all, general question, how important do you think social media is when it comes to a business like Whisk? The most important we, I have only spent a very small amount of money on advertising. We don't advertise. I don't have like ads in any of the food magazines here, nothing like that. You know, social media is kind of the future and mm-hmm. the now. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. Um, but you know what no, I mean? It's like it's, it's so true. It's, it's true. And so, I mean, that's where we get, I mean, the amount of customers that come in and say, oh, I saw this on your stories. Like I'm here because mm-hmm. I saw this on your stories. And it's like, oh, it's working. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's not something like I really enjoy taking pictures and I am a very, um, 
I don't know, some 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 people might say that I'm an oversharer, which is not a inaccurate statement. I like to be very frank with the people that follow us and just be really real and open and honest about like, hey, this is what's happening and this is what we have. But it's just support, you know, people, I think that people genuinely, I think customers want to know who they are supporting and who they're working with. And they want to know the stories. They want to know who the people are behind the product. So yeah, I like to be very open and honest, maybe more than I should be, but that's not going to make me stop. So (laughs) no, I think you're a hundred percent right. Speaking of your social media, I want to give you kudos because I was looking through your Facebook page specifically, and I don't know if you're the one shooting the videos and the photos or staging them or who is doing it, but the ideas that you come up with, the way that you shoot your food, the the the, the slow coffee pouring over the ice <laughs> with the creamer mixed in. Every single item I saw, the Duffin, the uh, the Poplar, everything. I'm like, this food looks so good. You do such a good job. And here's the other thing about your social media that I want to commend you on. I believe in my own world and what I do for a living that when somebody takes the time to comment on a photo or a post or a video It is our job as the business owner or the page owner to respond back. It's polite. It's the right thing to do. It's you saying, I hear you. Thank you. Here's here's my response. And I noticed that you do that on your page. You do an excellent, excellent job on your social media. And I'm glad it's working for you. Thank you. That means so much. It's yeah. I mean, there have been days where it's like, okay, maybe if I don't post something, people won't come in and then it'll be a less busy day. Like selfishly, mm. it's like, I'm tired. We're tired. It's yeah. <laughs> don't need post. A break. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, but I mean, it's, <laughs> I, that is absolutely, I would much rather have it go that route than the opposite route. You know, I would much rather be crazy busy and overwhelmed than just be sitting around staring at each other, like twiddling our thumbs. Like, what do we mm-hmm. do now? Why is no one mm-hmm. here? So thank you. Yeah, it's I it's mostly me that does social media less so these days just because I'm not here as much. I'm at the other location a lot more. But luckily, the the folks here at WISC are really good at when I say, send me a picture of something, they they can stage it and text <laughs> it to me and I can get it up online and, you know, hit those algorithms appropriately. So, so you're doing your social then, too. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. It's it's a lot of like, I feel like sometimes it just feels like I'm constantly, um, a pack mule, just like driving stuff around from trudging, schlepping. Uh, and then other times it's like just, you know, putting out fires constantly. Um, you know, just one problem to the next problem solving on the fly. I mean, it's, again, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I'm really glad that we kind of grew at a glacial pace initially because I think the person that I was when I opened WISC would not have been able to handle the day-to-day stressors and comings and goings and activities of what these businesses have become. Like, I just, I don't think that I would have been able to handle it. It happened how it was supposed to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I truly think that. That being said, then what's next for you guys? You said that you're already, you've expanded, but you kind of need to expand again. So, you know, for for the people that live in the St. Louis area that come to us, come see us. Do you ever think about becoming a chain? Um, 
Probably not on the bakery end of things, but we are in discussions with a couple places, not in St. Louis, that are interested in opening Poptimism locations. So that's... Yeah, it's real. It's real. It's weird that people care, you know, like that's kind of I feel like that that might be one of my like business owner mantras is like, it's weird that people care. It's weird that people <laughs> care enough that they want because like I and I think that that's like um, imposter syndrome to a degree where it's like, why? Why? Why do people care about me? Why uh, do they care about this stuff I make? I don't get it. Why? They care because you've done a for real, you've done a really good job and because you're a nice person. That's why they care and they want to work with you. I mean, it's that simple. It's that simple. It's very nice. It's very nice. Kaylin, it was so nice talking to you. It was wonderful to talk to you, too. I'm so proud of you and so happy for you for your success. I feel like this is just the beginning for you. You have a great product. You're a nice person. You're smart. You missed your 20s. You're going to be okay. It has to be okay because it was worth it, right? It was worth it to lose that decade of my life. It was. It it was. No, but I'm so happy for your success. I I appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time and for asking thoughtful questions and hearing what I have to say. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. And now we're going to speak with Tracy Murado, the Environmental, Social and Governance Manager at Selective, to talk about how Selective works with clients and what steps businesses can take to cultivate sustainability. So joining us now is Tracy Murado with Selective Insurance. And Tracy, I know you are the Environmental, Social and Governance Manager. By the way, that is a huge title. I can already tell you. You do a lot. They refer to you as the ESG. Tell us a little bit about your unique role at Selective. Oh, thank you, Carolyn. I'm so excited to be here today to talk about ESG at Selective. And uh, after listening to Caitlin, I'm even more excited to be here. So thank you for having me. So look, ESG is really about who we are as a company and as a socially responsible corporation. And a couple of years ago, we actually saw this kind of interest in the investor community. So that's where it started. We were like, we knew we wanted to tell the story to those who are interested, but how do we do that? And it fell into those three categories. So environmental, social, and governance. And we we really wanted to just package up who we are and tell that story to those that are interested. But really no longer was it just the, the investor or the shareholder. It was really redefined as to, well, as a company, what are you doing to support your customers? And what do you do for your employees? And what about those communities that you live, work, and serve in? How are you giving back and and just being a good, socially responsible company? So our ESG reports really highlight all the commitments that we have in those areas. I feel like the ESG role and just that is what you what you are at Selective, it humanizes you. Yes. Because it brings you down from being, we're this insurance company to we're your neighbors, we're your friends. We're you, right? We're all the same. That's exactly it. And so like no longer are people just interested in how a company is doing financially. So that's obviously so important. And I'm really proud of who we are financially as an organization. We've done really well over the last couple of years, but now it's about, well, what else are you? Who else are you? And what are you doing to preserve the environment for our future generations? And Hey, I'm your employee. What do you do to support me? What kind of programs do you offer? And what about those prospective employees who we want to come work for us? We want to make sure that story is solid and, and really telling 
what a great place we are. So I'm excited. I get to do that. I know. I was just going to say, so is that what your role entails is bringing those people in and having those conversations? It's really a cross-functional opportunity. Honestly, I, it's so funny because as I listen to Kaylin explain her story, her and I are so similar. I was a teacher in my former life as well. So to find myself in a role where I literally feel like I get to work with everyone in our company, including our DE&I, our diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, our HR professionals, our legal department, our facilities department is just so exciting. And I basically just get to tell all the great initiatives and work that they're already doing. Isn't that cool? But a lot of my role too really includes watching what's going on in the marketplace and saying, hey, look, that investor community that's really interested in us, they really want to see more about us. That's fantastic. And as you know, obviously you heard for yourself, we talked to Kaylin a few minutes ago and as a sustainable bake shop, her focus for her business includes shopping small, shopping local, composting, avoiding the sort of throwaway culture that is so prominent in our country. Um, All these steps that she recommends that any small business can do to become more environmentally friendly. So what additional steps do you think businesses of any size could take that would help drive sustainability efforts? Yeah, I think Kaylin did a phenomenal job of of describing those efforts. And I think for small businesses, it could be really challenging, especially because, you know, for, for someone who's been in business so long, right, it's they've established who they are. And making a change could be rather difficult, but I think Kaylin was automatically, you know, advertising that she's sustainable bake shop and it's so cool. But I definitely think you need to look at what makes sense for your business. So look at your materials. Is there anything that you're using day to day that you throw away at the end of the day? Are you a coffee shop that's still using plastic straws? Can you move to a cardboard base and really look at your recycling within and your programs that you have or what type of products you're offering your customers. So not only shopping local, shopping small and doing those things that she describes so well, but just really starting somewhere, starting anywhere, I think would be a great suggestion. It all adds up, doesn't it? It all makes a difference. Like every little thing that you take and every little change that you make, it adds up and it makes a difference and it could affect your bottom line in a positive way. Absolutely. You're hitting it right on the head. And I always say like, not only do you want to do it within, but it's kind of like spreading the green, right? So if you're giving back to your customers then, and they're not throwing away your cup at the end of the day, or it's kind of, it's a good recycling, it's good advertising for you. It's good social media presence. So there's so much that you could do with, with just little baby steps and and really understanding this is a journey. It, It may not happen overnight, but start somewhere. So that being said, what are some of the steps that selective insurance is specifically taken for you guys to reduce your carbon footprint? Yeah. So I will tell you as, as an insurance company, we are not known to be huge emitters of greenhouse gas emissions. So that's, that's great. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've really taken a smart approach to reducing our carbon footprint. So let's say we across both our corporate offices, as well as our regional offices, we've taken uh, the steps to install all led lighting. So that's great. We repurposed commingled recyclables. We eliminated the use of styrofoam, we use Energy Star uh, equipment. I'm trying to think, automated plumbing f- features. So just really ways to reduce our water and energy use altogether. And again, talking about spreading that green, I think we do have a lot of employees that are on the road and use vehicles. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited. And I, it was in our second ESG report, but by 2025, we are looking to uh, replace all of our vehicles on the road with hybrid vehicles. So we're really excited just about again, kind of spreading it out. It happens within the buildings, but then Mm -hmm. also on our footprint as well and where we're serving our customers. 
And I think also if you take the the next step in using local suppliers, right? Products don't need to travel as far, which could, of course, result in less emissions. So that's a factor, too. There are all sorts of, like we just said, little things that you can do. Absolutely. Using local, I think. And I think you, you described it well, right? When you know where your ingredients are coming from and when you know it just tastes better, it feels better. You want to do it just because it, it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. We we talked a little bit with Kaylin about how her sustainability efforts sometimes impact her her profit margins, right? So knowing that some sustainability efforts may impact the bottom line, may be off-putting for some business owners, but when it comes to advice or the approach that you might want to use, what would you share with those who are hesitant to get started or how could they offset some of those profit margin impacts? I think it's, you know, it's really challenging. Um, So one suggestion, in addition to everything that Caitlin talked about, would be maybe to just evaluate your own building space. So some of the biggest energy consumption that we have or the cost is really all about your lighting, your heating, and your cooling. So take a look at your bills. Where can you look at your own space and say, where am I paying too much? What can be reduced here? And understanding even just the the building or space that you're operating in. Because if you do have to increase those other products or you're you're seeing an increase to your customers, you may be able to take your own pricing down by this way. So what I mean, so for instance, if you replace your light bulbs with energy efficient light bulbs, they're said to save you up to 75% or they use 75% less energy, which is awesome. So that's one small step that you can make. Another step would be install sensor lighting. So when you're leaving the room or your employees are leaving, you're making sure that there's no lights on in the building. I know solar panels are a bit pricey to begin with, but overall, that's basically free energy once it's up and running. So it could hit you initially, but over time, you could really start to see those costs come down. So as you're trying to build that more sustainable approach, if you could lower some of your building costs and your waste management costs, it could offset. It is funny when you compare your, you know, your home versus the office. So you think about LED lighting at home or solar panels at home, and it does have an effect. You do notice a difference on your bill. But when you take it to the level of an office building, like you said, 75% on those LED lights, that's when you really see the impact. And that's why it's so important for, for you to remind people that it could really make a difference. Absolutely. And if you're doing it at home, why wouldn't you take it to your business? And even if you're in a lease space, you can certainly do things like we did at, at our corporate office, which is, you know, put on those, those fixed plumbing fixtures, fixtures, excuse me, and reduce your water usage. Make sure that the lights turn off. If what if you only have a couple of employees going in and out of the restroom? Then make sure the light goes off after they're yeah. done. It's it's an easy fix that really could hit your line. So you're you're reducing your costs before having to drive up some of those other costs, maybe by investing in sustainable products. I understand that Selective avoids customers within hazardous business classes. So how can small businesses follow this example, kind of putting their money where their mouth is? Yeah, I think this would, this is kind of a loaded question, right? Because if, <laughs> if you're a small business owner, you have customers coming in, you can't be like grilling them up and down, you know, oh, what do you do? And, and trying to understand everything that they are, or who they are. But I think when it comes to your vendors, that's where you can really try and make sure that the people that you're doing business with are also following the same kind of core business model and sustainability that you are. So when we talk about vendors, making sure you're doing your research on them. Is this a good 
company? Is this someone who I want to be associated with? Is this someone I want my business associated with? Because if you're you're sitting there and ordering these products from them, are, are they using plastic to, to package up their goods or are they are they being sustainable themselves? So I think just really in terms of those vendor relationships, do your research, make sure you're working with good people because it is your business. You You want them to be a good representation of you as well. I think that is so well said. It's Tracy Morado at Selective Insurance, the Environmental, Social and Governance Manager. We now know you as the ESG. Thank you for being on with us today. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Carolyn. This was so fun. I appreciate you having me. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I want to thank Kaylin Wissinger for joining me and sharing her unique perspective on sustainability in business. I also want to say thank you so much to Tracy for taking the time to be a guest on the show and giving us some insight into her job as environmental, social and governance manager at Selective. I also want to thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and this has been Uniquely Small Biz from Selective Insurance.